Boy, oh boy, we have lost um, some remarkable people over the past week. Um, we have lost some remarkable people, some remarkable figures. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, last week Friday, uh, you know, he was in a fight against cancer. Uh, the, gr- the legendary great coach and person, John Thompson, uh, we lost him at the age of 78. We have, we, I mean, it's, it's plenty more. Uh, 2020 has been tough. I told you guys a couple weeks ago, I said 2020 has been tough. Um, and it's a good thing, you know, we got our sports back. I mean, that's the least. That's that's the least that we can ask. Um, so, I got a good podcast for you guys today. I got a good episode for you guys. Um, I can't wait. I, I, NFL predictions. I finally have my NFL predictions. I told you guys last week, I'm coming with my NFL predictions. I feel pretty confident about them. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you already know that I'm dead. I, I've been very focused on this upcoming NFL season, and the season starts in about eight days. We're eight days away from the season opener against the Chiefs and the Texans. Um, so hopefully COVID doesn't interrupt the NFL season. But let's get it going. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Episode one fifty of the Isaiah K Podcast. Episode one fifty. We've been doing this for a while. I hope all y'all are safe out there, staying healthy. Okay, 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 I'm going to stop it right there. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Isaiah K Podcast, episode 150 of the IKP. I'm your humble and, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kit. <clears throat> I hope you guys are well. I'm well. And before I get into my predictions, before I start talking about the NBA playoffs, I want to take some time... <clears throat> To talk about John Thompson. Because, and I know the Washingtonians are going to love this. uh, Because I'm from D.C. Uh, And, you know, I heard a lot of people like Michael Wilbon. Michael Wilbon has worked in D.C. for pretty much his whole career. Michael Wilbon, great journalist, uh, legendary journalist, one of the best to ever do it. He's been working in D.C. for a very long time, and he's not from D.C., but he's been working here for a very long time, so he knows the city. He has seen the city uh, and its changes. And John Thompson, uh, you know, as we all know, if you don't know already, but he passed away at the age of 78 on Monday, uh, or that's where everybody found out, Monday morning. Um, and I was, I was in shock and I was, and I actually, it was, it's just so funny because I actually had a former Georgetown basketball player. I was going to have a former Georgetown basketball player come on the podcast and talk about Georgetown. And we was going to talk about like, you know, what is he doing? Like, 
I had a former bas- Georgetown basketball player coming on the pod very soon, and then this happens. Um, <clears throat> Big John, I, before I even talk about how good of a coach he was, um, before I even talk about like how good those 80s Georgetown teams was or how many guys, he, like how many Hall of Famers he's coached, I, before I even talk about that, Big John, to a lot of people, uh, was a father figure. You know, I've heard, you know, I've heard everybody give their spiel about, uh, John Thompson and that's great. Uh, that's great that we are, that we are, uh, we are acknowledging the greatness. Um, not just him being a great coach, but him also being a great person. Uh, because outside of the lines, outside of basketball, John Thompson was a great person. And <laughs> you probably heard it already, but that was a big thing of his. That's like, and especially with most of his players being predominantly black and in the era that he coached in, that's what he, that's that, that, that's what he was a strong, besides winning games, besides winning championships and having success on the floor. He he had he had a and this is this just speaks to the significance of John Thompson. He had a flat ball, a flat basketball in his office, a flat basketball, and basically he would say, "When the ball runs out, when this basketball runs out of air, what are you gonna do next?" That's what he asks his players. What are you gonna do next? And I just think. We don't have enough coaches like that. Um, like, I, and this is why I like, I, I like nothing wrong with the new school coaches. Nothing wrong with the newer generation of coaches. But this is why I love old school. This is some of the reasons why I love old school coaches. And John Thompson was surely one of those. And he asks, he's like, once, once, the, once all of the air is out of this basketball, what are you going to do next? Cause basketball, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, like LeBron James is lucky. Like nobody, there's not a lot of players in league history that are that are that good at at year seventeen. Nobody, <laughs> uh, and there's not a lot of players that are fortunate enough to play that long. And Big John, he wanted his players to get education. He wanted his players to be able to function. And be productive in the real world, not just on the basketball floor, not just on the basketball court. And that's what I love. And then him coaching at Georgetown, like when he first got the job in the early 70s at Georgetown, Georgetown still to this day, it's a a predominantly white college. It's a predominantly white institution. I actually got accepted into there. Um, But... It's a it's a it's a predominantly white institution, and before John Thompson got there, their basketball teams were predominantly white. And John Thompson had this attitude, like he had this type of uh, not attitude, but this type of feeling, like. At, 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 and you got to think about it because at this time, during that time frame where John Thompson got the Georgetown jobs, it wasn't a lot of black coaches. It wasn't a lot of black people getting high authoritative positions and you would think like black people would be 
like appreciated of like appreciate of it. No, 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 no. That wasn't John Thompson. John Thompson, like he felt like he 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 earned this job. He earned the Georgetown job, and I, you know the physical presence. How smart he was. I mean, the physical presence. We all know about the towel on the shoulder. We all know how big he was. 6'10", about 250, 260. I mean, it physically imposing. Yeah, there's not many coaches that are physically imposing. And John just had a different makeup about him. He had a different makeup about him. And it's so, it's so, it's so funny because... These players were protesting. Uh, they 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 boycotted the games last week. And hats off to them. Hats hats off to the NBA players. But <laughs> it just shows you John Thompson was ahead of his time. John Thompson did that years ago. Proposition forty two. Proposition forty two was an eligibility um, rule. So proposition forty. So proposition forty two. Well, it was a racist policy. It, it like it was a racist policy that the NCAA came up with uh, because it, it it was it was hurting black. It was hurting the black kids. It was hurting the black the black athletes. Uh, and it was an eligibility rule. And in the middle of a big in, in the middle of a big of a Big East game, John Thompson walks off the floor. And that rule has changed. That Proposition 42 no longer, no longer exists. I mean, and it's pretty easy to put one, it's pretty easy to put one, one and one together. Like, you know, restrictions with eligibility. That's when, they, that's when college basketball first got integrated. Like, it doesn't, it does, it's not rocket science that, that, propos, that Proposition 42 was, um, was a racist policy. And and I, and I would encourage you guys to go look look up Proposition 42 if you're not familiar with it. But I mean John Big John and I'm sure Washingtonians know this. So in the 80s in the late 80s in the 90s a little bit in the, a little bit in the 90s DC was going through was, was going through some hard times. DC was hard. And there's a notorious drug dealer that goes by the name of Rayful Atmans. And, and Rayful, uh, he started to, started to connect and make relationships. And he started connecting with Alonzo Mourning. We all know who Alonzo Mourning is. NBA Hall of Famer, big t- great big man. Yeah. Uh, Rayful Atmans, notorious drug dealer. Uh, he he, he, he he used to hang with Alonzo Mourning, and Big John confronted that and stopped that really quickly. Big John, Big John, Big John went around the city, going all throughout the urban city, going all throughout the, going all throughout DC to find Rafe Wetmans. Didn't find him. Rafe Wetmans, the word gets around. Rafe Wetmans comes to Georgetown, and Big John tells him. Uh, stop hanging with Alonzo Mourning. He's accountable. I'm accountable for him. Stop hanging with Alonzo Mourning. And uh, <laughs> Rayful, stop hanging with Alonzo Mourning. 
Mind you, Rayful was a notorious drug dealer, famous drug dealer. Uh, you know, of course, you know what, like, I'm sure everybody knows what comes with that life. Uh, very violent. <laughs> and Big John stood up to him like, stop, stop messing with my players. Stop hanging with my players. You know, do your thing, but don't, my players should not be associated with that. And that just speaks to the great man John Thompson was. And Allen Iverson, during Allen Iverson's Hall of Fame speech, Allen Iverson, Allen AI, <clears throat> and I actually went to that Hall of Fame induction. When, when Allen Iverson got inducted to the Hall of Fame, I went to that Hall of Fame speech. I was there. And he said John Thompson saved his, saved his life. And we all know about the AI story. Uh, the fight at the bowling alley, you know, we all we all know about that. And Georgetown and John Thompson was the only school to reach out to him, so he can further his athletic career and his academic career and or his education. And he told he he said it. He said John Thompson saved my life. John Thompson saved my life. I'm a, actually I'm gonna get the clip for you guys. Here's the clip. Of Allen Iverson. Coach Thompson. Uh-huh. Coach. Coach Thompson. Was saving my life. Uh-huh. For giving me uh, the opportunity. Um, I was recruited by every school in the country for football and basketball and uh the incident happened in high school and all that was taken away no other teams no other schools were recruiting me anymore my mom went to georgetown and begged him to give me a chance and he did And that's, uh, and that's crazy to think that you're the best football player in the world, which I did, and to be, and to be sitting up here as a Hall of Famer in basketball. You tell me. So it just shows you to the, the remarkable man he was. Um, his, his players had a 97% graduation rate. 97% graduation rate. His players. Um, and it was it's so it's so funny because John Thompson when he when he won the national championship with Patrick Ewing, uh and you know the people, you know, the media came up to him and he was like and and they asked him, "How does it feel to be the first black coach ever to win a national championship?" And you know what he said? He said, no, 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 no. I'm not the first black coach to win. No, I'm the first coach from New England. I'm the first coach from the New England area to win a national championship. Because John Thompson knew there were minority coaches before him who were, who, 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 who were as good as a, 
as good of a coach as him, and they didn't have the opportunity to coach at a big-time school like John Thompson did. And every time he's asked, how does it feel to be the first black coach to ever win a national championship? He says, no, I'm the first coach from New England to win a national championship. And that just speaks, that, that's, that, that just speaks volumes. Um, we all know how, good, how great, how dominant Georgetown, Hoya, Paranoia was in the 80s. We all know how great those team those teams was. Um, the, you know, uh, with Patrick Ewing and Michael Jackson, not the singer, obviously the basketball player. Um, there was a basketball. There was a there was a basketball guard. He used to play point guard uh, for the for the Hoyas in the eighties. Michael Jackson, uh, and you know that those teams were great. <laughs> those those teams were great, and they were. Georgetown in the 80s with led by John Thompson was the like they were the embodiment of the black culture. It's as simple as that. They were the embodiment of the black culture. They were. And you can go back and look at the music, the music videos. You can go back and look at. Uh, m- movies in the eight that was made in the eighties and the nineties, and you will find Georgetown apparel. You'll find Georgetown swag because because John Thompson and what dealt and what those Hoya teams did in the eighties, and not just them being successful, but what they stood for, what John Thompson stood for. He embodied. Georgetown was an embodiment of the black culture during that time. They were the embodiment of the black culture. You can go back. You can go back and look at the rap videos. You can go back and look at the the uh, the movies that was made in the late eighties, uh, going into the nineties. You can look at those things and that and, and look at different sources of entertainment. You will find Georgetown paraphernalia. You'll find Georgetown apparel because. They, 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 they embodied the coach, the black culture. They had, I remember that. I mean, I don't remember. I wasn't living, but they had the, 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 the Hoya Nikes, the Georgetown Hoya Nikes, the gray and blue Georgetown Hoya Nikes. They embodied the black culture and it was all led by John Thompson. John Thompson made his players take adequate classes so when they go out to different restaurants, they know what they know what fork to eat with and what fork for certain foods to use. That that, that just speaks volumes on the great man, not just the coach, the great man that John Thompson was. It just speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. And a lot of heart, brave, was not PC. Was not PC. John Thompson was not PC at all. John Thompson was not PC at all. Everybody want be. Everybody wants to be political correct nowadays. John Thompson was not that, <laughs> and it was it, it it was accepted. And whoever didn't accept it, he didn't care. John Thompson was a great man, great man, not just a great coach, great man. Father figure to many. 
I heard dudes that didn't even go to Georgetown. Like, I heard Kenny Smith, uh, Chris Webber. <laughs> I heard dudes talking. They didn't even go to Georgetown. They went to Michigan and North Carolina. and They went to all these other schools. And John Thompson, he, he, he treated those players like they were his own. It's just, it just speaks to the greatness of John Thompson. I just know so many people around the metropolitan area uh, who, either had, who either played that Georgetown, has connections to Georgetown in any type of form. And the loss of, like, people know what, what John Thompson stood for in the city, especially in D.C. Um, like, uh, like, people around the city know what he did for Georgetown, what he did for those players on and off the court. Because it's the you it's not just Allen Iverson's life he saved. It's not just him confronting grateful admin. Like it's it, it, it's not just him doing these things. No. He it, it's not just these one or two stories. No, these are things that he did on a consistent basis and did for Pretty much everybody, anybody that he came in contact with, he did that for. I, I, I know it. I know it for sure. Because, <laughs> I, like I said, I know people. Played that Georgetown. I was supposed to interview a former player. Played that Georgetown. They know. And they know how good he was. So, um, let's, sw- let's flip the switch um, and let's go to the NFL. Uh, I got my predictions. I'm ready. I have... My NFL predictions. Now, I was pretty good at this last year. Uh, I had my... So, before I even get into it, I was really good at this last year. Excuse me. I'm sorry. And the team that I had being a sleeper team, I called this team a sleeper team last year, and that was the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers was a they were a sleeper team and I picked them to win the division and I picked them to be a playoff team. Now, I did not know they were going to go to the Super Bowl, but I picked them to win the division and be a playoff team. So, I'm really good at I'm really good at this. Also, when everybody was talking about how the Browns were going to have a great year last year, I said, "Nope, the Browns won't even make it to the playoffs." That happened. So, I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at making predictions. And if you don't believe me, go back and listen to the episodes from last year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like go back and listen to the episodes from last year. I'm pretty good at this. So we're going to start with the AFC West. Now, in the AFC West, no surprise here. Kansas City Chiefs at 12-4. and four. I think they win this division. I do think this division is pretty good. I I I I like some of these teams. I like some. I like I like most of this division, uh, but I just think the Chiefs they have the better all. They have the best all around team. Uh, they got the best quarterback with the best coach. You know the Chiefs would be fine. No, I don't think they will experience a Super Bowl hangover. Uh, they 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 have an, they have enough continuity. They they bring in some talent um, throughout the draft. So that's even that's even better for them. I think the Chiefs go 12 and 4. I have the Broncos at 9 and 7. Now, the Broncos, they're going to be my sleeper team this year. The Broncos are my sleeper team this year. 
Uh, and I, and I, have, I have my reasons for that. Now, first, let me tell you the issues that I have with the Broncos. Left tackle, not I don't like their left tackle. Uh, and then their right tackle opted out. So left tackle is not solid, and their right tackle opted out of the season due to COVID. He opted out. So I worry about the tackle positions because, remember, the Cleveland Browns last year struggled with the tackle, with the tackle positions, and Baker couldn't stay on his feet. So I'm still going to have the Broncos at 9-7 and seven, uh, because I think they have an up-and-coming roster, um, especially offensively with Drew Locke. Noah Fant, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay. I like the pieces that they have offensively. And then on defense, you take a look. Jonathan Simmons is a really good safety. Von Miller, Hall of Fame pass rusher. They get Bradley Chubb back with AJ Bouye. I like the Broncos. Uh, and Vic Vangio, he's a good defensive mind. I like the Broncos to go nine and seven. The Chargers I have at six and ten. Now, I had the Chargers at seven and nine, uh, or I had them around seven and nine, eight and eight. But Darren James, uh, he had a he had another injury, another big time injury. He's so good, he just can't stay healthy. Darren James is so damn good, but he can't stay healthy. Um, I, you know, like this Chargers roster, they have one of the best secondaries in the league. But once again, Darren James, he's a big part of what that secondary is. And without him, they're not the same. Tyrod Taylor is the Chargers quarterback. Uh, I like Tyrod. I don't like him enough where I see him uh, leading his team to the playoffs. But Chargers at 6-10. And, and then the Raiders at 5-11. First, John Gruden has to figure out who's his quarterback. I think Derek Carr is on the hot seat. Uh, Derek Carr could very much lose his job this year. But John Gruden, he has to figure out who their quarterback is. Plus, anytime a team relocates to a new city, in their first season, they have never won eight games or more. So any team in NFL history that have moved to a new city, any team that has moved to a new city in their first year, they have not won eight games. They've won no more than eight games. So the Chargers at 5-11. and 11. Um, the AFC East, this is going to be pretty easy. The Buffalo Bills at 11-5. They added Stephon Diggs. Um, <clears throat> they got a couple opt-outs. They got a couple opt-outs on defense, but their defense is deep. I, I, I love um, what, the, what, what, the Bills are, what the Bills are cooking up up there in Buffalo. Their defense is deep. They have continuity. Josh Allen, I think, will continue to get better. And he's damn talented. I think he's raw at times, and his decision-making is questionable at times. But you give him a guy like Stephon Diggs, uh, you, give him a, you give him a deep threat, and you have continuity on defense, I think Buffalo wins this division at 11-5. and five. Uh, I have New England at 7-9. Okay, this may seem like a hot take. I don't think it's a hot take at all. This is pretty easy. They have eight players that have opted out. New England has eight players that have opted out. This is not hard whatsoever. Also, they lost two guys to free agency. Two key defensive players to free agency. So, so half of their defense is gone. 
or or, or opted out. They don't have no Brady. They don't have no offensive weapons. Uh, they have no functional. They have no functional tight end. And then Dante Scarnecchia is one of the best offensive coaches in league history. He's one of the best offensive line coaches in league history. Dante Scarnecchia. He retired. So when I take a, when I take into account all these losses that New England has, they're seven and nine. They're being seven and nine team. They don't have the offensive firepower. They have no offensive deep threat. They have no functional tight end for Cam. They, you know, they, 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 they've lost so many guys on defense. New England has 79. I don't know how this is hard. This is not hard at all. Um, and yeah, and like I said, Dante, Dante Scarnecchia, one of the best offensive line coaches in league history. He's gone. He retired. Uh, I have Miami at 79 as well. I love Miami young talent. I love what they're doing and what Brian Flores is doing in Miami. He's made, he, he, he went out this offseason, spent money on the defense, spent, he spent big-time money on the defense. But boy, oh boy, they could have used the preseason. And I think certain teams, like certain young teams, uh, you know, young teams with young quarterbacks or, or teams with new coaches – I think they could have used the preseason. No preseason, so I think I think Miami's seven and nine, and then the Jets at five and eleven. No Jamal Adams, no C.J. Mosley because he opted out. Young offensive line, I just don't think they're good enough. I I, I just don't think I just don't think they'll be good enough to compete. I don't like it. Five and eleven for the Jets. Okay, the AFC North. I love this division. I got the Ravens at 13 and 3. Uh this Baltimore team could could win. I said 13, but they can win 14 games. They can they, they can win 14 games. Uh they have the best all-around team in the league. Uh they have the easiest travel schedule. I think that matters in this this year with COVID-19 uh and just the lack of preparation, limited preparation. I think that matters. Each easiest travel schedule Great team, all-around team. I think they go 13-3, and 14-2 easily. Uh, the Browns. I have the Cleveland Browns at 9-7. and seven. I love their talent, especially on offense and defense. Uh, they, got a, they got a new coach uh, implementing a new system. So with no preseason, it's going to take some time for that offense to gel. But once that offense gel, they'll be a run. They're going to be the, – the Browns are going to be a run-first team. That was Kevin Stefanski's bread and butter in Minnesota. They're going to be a run-first team, uh, which I think it's going to make it. I think it's going to make life easier for Baker. Uh, he has Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt behind him with an improved offensive line. I think Cleveland would be nine and seven. The Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they'll be nine and seven. Great defense. Love their defense. One of the best. They have one of the best front sevens in in football, but. I have my question marks about their offense. Uh, I worry about Ben Roethlisberger's health. Um, I know he's better than Mason Rudolph, but I still worry about his health. Uh, you know, because Ben Roethlisberger's training regimen, off-season training regimen, is yoga and drinking beers. I just don't. I, I, it's not very Russell Wilson esque or Tom Brady esque. I, I, I had so I have my question marks. Is Juju really a number one wide receiver? We have to see. Uh, can James Conner be more consistent? Can he be more consistent? 
I have to see. And that's why I have my questions with Pittsburgh. Um, the, the, and I told you guys, the Bengals will be 3-13. and 13. The Bengals won't be able to compete. Um, I, I told you, young coach, uh, rookie quarterback, bad team. I just think they're struggle. Uh, AFC South, I don't love this division. I do not love this division at all. I think it's a whole bunch of average. But I had the I got the Indianapolis Colts at ten and six. They have the best young offensive line in football. I think that will help, and that will um, that will that will help Phil Rivers with him being with him not being the most athletic quarterback as we all know, uh, and him you know not being able to remove her around the pocket. I think that old line will help, and it's funny how things work out. Because Phillip Rivers last year went from one of the worst offensive lines to the absolute best offensive line. So I think that would help. Um, they, they, made some gr- they made some good acquisitions on defense this offseason. Uh, DeForest Buckner. Uh, and then in the draft. They went out and drafted Jonathan Taylor. Love him. Uh, went out and drafted Michael Pippen, uh, Pittman. Love him. So I think those two are pan out. Uh, they'll, they, they'll, be, they'll be impactful. Um, the Titans, I think they're 9-7. The last three years, the Titans have gone 9-7. They go 9-7 this year. Um, Tannehill, I think, pulls back. I think Tannehill regresses. I think Tannehill comes back down to earth. Um, you know, they had a great playoff run last year, but they got, I think, I, I think Tennessee's going to pull back a little bit. Um, the Texans at 8-8. Eight and eight, I don't love their roster at all. I love Deshaun Watson. I think he's the absolute best quarterback in this division. And he's and he's arguably a top five quarterback in this league. But I don't love his roster. I don't love his O-line. Uh, his receivers are injury prone. Uh, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb. Like, all those guys are injury prone. Kenny Stills, injury prone. All those guys are injury prone. Uh, and then his defense is average, if not below average. I just don't love it. I think I think this team is very mediocre. He'll find a way to win them eight games, but I just don't think they have enough. Uh, I had the Texans going eight and eight. Uh, and then the Jaguars, they're just tanking. They're, I mean, they're just God right, just tanking. They're just they're, they're just tanking. Um, everybody like their front office is not trying to admit it. Uh, their coach not is not trying to admit it, but they are. You, I mean, you're, you're getting you're giving away your best players. They go two and fourteen. Uh, and my playoff teams for the AFC is Baltimore, Kansas City, Indianapolis, and Buffalo. And then my wild card teams are Cleveland, Denver, and Pittsburgh. Those those, those are my those are my wild card teams. Cleveland, Denver, and Pittsburgh. Okay, let's go to the NFC. Uh, I got the Philadelphia. Let's start with the NFC East. I got the Philadelphia Eagles. Philly goes ten and six. Um, I do have my questions about their offensive line. They got they had they, you know Dylan Brooks. He's a great he's a great left tackle, um, but he's 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 out, uh, and they're gonna have, they, they're gonna have to move Jason Peters to they're gonna have to move Jason Peters to left tackle. So I do worry about that. Uh, I yeah I, I just do I worry about their O line and its health because they have to keep Carson Wentz healthy because he has had injuries in the past. But the reason why I have the Eagles over the Cowboys, and I know Cowboy fan, Cowboy Nation, they're not gonna agree with me. They're gonna they go, they gonna bash me. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna criticize me. They're gonna push back. I don't give a damn. Um, <laughs> Philly, Philly has the more balanced roster. 
Philly went out and solved their holes. Philly had a need in the secondary. They went out and got Darius Slay. Philly, uh, they needed receivers. They needed a deep threat. They went out and got Jalen Rager. The Cowboys did not do the same. The Cowboys, when they needed help in the secondary, they went out and drafted another receiver. So it's like, you know, I, it, the Cowboys, and let's move on to the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys be 9-7. and seven. Uh, I love their weapons. They have great weapons. But I don't love their defense. They're crossing their goddamn fingers that Demarcus Lawrence comes back to life. They're crossing their fingers that Everson Griffin works out. They're crossing their fingers that, Van, that Leighton Vanderish stays healthy. And then that secondary is just god-awful. That, that secondary is just stinky. So, like, they have great weapons on offense. Uh, and I love what they could possibly do on offense. But, I mean, come on. What, what Dak Prescott am I getting? Am I getting 8-8 eight eight Dak? Am I getting an eight and eight Dak or a ten and six division winner Dak? Which Dak am I getting? I don't know. Um, and with a new coach, new system they got to implement with no preseason, it's going to take them some time to jail offensively. So I got the Cowboys at nine and seven. Uh, the Giants, I got them at six and ten. Young offensive line. I must admit, Dane Jones is better than what I thought he would be. He's, he's proved me wrong. I'm not admit that I'm wrong. I'm not afraid to admit or, you know, I, I'm, I'm just wrong about that. He's, he's been better than what I thought he was. Uh, he can play. But once again, new coach, Joe Judge, I think it'll take them some time to jail. They'd be 6-10. and 10. It's a competitive division. It's a competitive uh, conference. Uh, and then last but not least, well, maybe least, uh, the Washington football team, 5-11. and 11. I have them going 5-11. and 11. Once again, New coach, new system uh, with a young quarterback. I would have loved to see a team like Washington in preseason. I would have loved to see them in preseason. But I think their defense would be sneaky good. I think they keep games close because of their defense. Their defense, their front seven is nasty. And I think their defense will be able to keep certain games close. Uh, let's move on to the NFC North. NFC North, uh, I have the Minnesota Vikings at 11-5. Solid roster. I think Mike Zimmer is a little rigid offensively, but he's a great defensive mind. Uh, they have a really good roster, and I think Kirk Cousins, he'd be proficient enough. He still has weapons. Uh, Dalvin Cook, that offensive line is still pretty good. I think, I think Minnesota go 11-5. Um, Green Bay, I have Green Bay at 10-6. I don't love Green Bay's roster. I don't love it, but they have Aaron Rodgers. I think, he is still, I think he's still a great playmaker. I think he is still an elite quarterback at times. Uh, but I, I just don't see a second reliable target. They have Aaron Jones and, Don, and, and, and um, Devontae Adams. But who's the second receiver that Aaron Rodgers is supposed to throw to? I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't think Green Bay knows. Uh, I, you know, their front seven is pretty decent. They got the, they got the Smith uh, duet. <laughs> Ladarius Smith and uh, Preston Smith. Um, I, I, you know, I think those guys are pretty good, uh, and they're they're really good up front. I must say, the the, the Packers are really good up front, but they go ten and six. Um, Chicago, eight and eight. I think Chicago goes eight and eight. It's a transition year. Uh, they, they 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 don't even know who their quarterback is. A lot of unknowns in Chicago. They don't even know who their quarterback is. I think it, I have a funny suspicion that it'd be Nick Foles. Because you just don't go out and trade for Nick Foles in that contract and not play him. Like, he, like Nick Foles is making too much money not to be playing him. So, 
I think I have a funny suspicion Nick Foles will uh will start week one. Uh Detroit, they go six and ten. I'm not gonna talk about that. Uh <laughs> I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna waste my time on Detroit. Uh NFC South. This is a really good division. I have the Saints at eleven and five. Uh, hopefully they can figure out the Alvin Kamara situation as far as his contract or, you know, them agreeing on a new deal. Hopefully he can get a new deal. But I have the Saints at 11-5. Uh, they added Emmanuel Sanders. They got a pretty good defense. Drew Brees is still pretty good, still pretty decent, pretty good. Uh, top 10 guy, but um, top 10 quarterback. But, yeah, 11-5, I think they win. I think they do just enough to win the division. It'll be very close, though. Uh, I had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 10 and 6. I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 10 and 6. Yes. Uh, they, they have a sneaky good defense. Todd Bowles was late, late down the season. This defense was really good. This defense was stellar. So I think, that, I think you'll see a carry on to that. Uh, they have great offensive weapons. I love, what, I love the acquisitions that they have made. Uh, this offseason, obviously, Tom Brady and all these other guys. And, you know, you, you put that together with Bruce Arians. I like what they have offensively. I think they'd be 10-6. and six. I think it'd take them some time offensively to jail. But uh, I think they'd still be a playoff team. The Falcons, it's, it's a mess in Atlanta. It's a mess in Atlanta. I think Dan Quinn is on the hot seat. Um, I don't love his defense. Defense is awful. Matt Ryan has still put up good numbers. Julio Jones is Julio Jones. He's amazing, but they'd be 7-9. And, and if Atlanta gets off to a bad start, Dan Quinn would probably be fired. Uh, simple as that. Uh, Panthers at 6-10. and 10. Now, the Panthers, I don't think they're as bad as people are trying to make them out to be. Uh, I do love what they have offensively. Offensively, I love what they have. Defensively, they're not going to be able to stop nobody. Uh, but they got Christian McCaffrey, they got DJ Moore, they got uh, C, they got Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson with Teddy Bridgewater. I like what they have on offense, and they'll spoil you some teams' playoff hopes. Um, and then the NFC West, the best division in football. This is the best division in the league, hands down. Uh, I got the San Francisco 49ers at 12-4. I don't think it would be a Super Bowl hangover. They have the best all-around offense and defense in the in the division. Simple as that. They have the best all-around offense and defense in the division. Simple as that. Uh they got one of the best offense. They have the best offensive mind in Kyle Shanahan. I love it. Uh next, I got Seattle at 11 and 5. Seattle will go 11 and 5. They got Russell Wilson, he's elite. You know, he just put them he they, he'll just put them on his back and he'll carry them to 11 and 5 into the playoffs like he always does. Um Cardinals at 8 and 8. I love Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray will have a breakout year with DeAndre Hopkins. Kyler Murray will have a breakout year with DeAndre Hopkins. They, the, the Cardinals will be a very competitive 8-8 eight eight. Um, with that air raid offense. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, I, I think Kyler, I, I think he's, he's going to have a breakout year this year. And then uh, the Rams. I, think, I, I feel bad for the Rams because the Rams are not a bad team. The Rams are really good. But they play in such a stacked division in such a stacked conference. So there goes seven and nine. Uh, they're a solid team. I don't love. I don't. I don't like the I, like. I think they lack depth on defense. But they're a solid team. They're a really solid team. But they play in a. They play in a. God. They, they play in the NFC West, and then they play in the NFC. <laughs> like this. This. Like this division is stacked, and their conference is stacked. 
So my NFL, my NFC playoff teams, these are the division leaders or the division winners. Uh, the 49ers, the Vikings, uh, the Eagles, and the Saints. And then my wild card teams are Green Bay and, and Tampa Bay. Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and Seattle. Those are my wild card teams. Green Bay, Seattle, and Tampa Bay. Those are my wild card teams in the NFC. And those are my playoff teams for the NFC. 49ers, Minnesota, Philly, New Orleans, Green Bay, Seattle, and Tampa Bay. Those are my NFL predictions. I feel pretty strong about them. I know certain fan bases are going to be mad. I know the Pittsburgh fan base is going to be mad. I know the Cowboy fan. I know the Cowboy fans are going to be pretty pissed. Um, yeah, I don't care. Um, yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, They're, yeah. This. I feel pretty good about this. Like I said, um, I know there's going to be some fan bases that's going to be mad at me, like the Steeler fans. It's, it's quite a few Cowboy fans that listen to this podcast. Uh, they get, they often give me a lot of feedback. Um, I know the Steelers fans are not going to be too pleased. There's, the Steelers will still make the playoffs, but I, I, I have question marks. Um, ben Roethlisberger, he, 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 his off-season training regimen is yoga and drinking beers. I just don't know how effective that is when you're coming off a of Tommy John surgery. <laughs> Like, my bad for questioning that. My bad. Your, your off-season training regimen is yoga and drinking beers. My bad if I'm questioning if you're going to make a full 100% recovery from a Tommy John surgery when you play the most physical sport in, in, in North America. My bad. <laughs> my bad. And then with the Cowboys. I mean... I love the weapons that they have on offense. I love them. I li- I, lo- I like Ceedee Lamb. I like Amari Cooper. I think they overpaid. I think they overpaid for him. But I like Amari Cooper. I like Michael Gallup. Um, I- Dak is Dak is a pretty good quarterback. Dak is a top twelve ish quarterback to me. He's a top twelve, top thirteen quarterback to me. Um, I- but I worry about their defense and plus. Can Dak win big games? Because Dak has struggled against winning teams. And on that on, 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 on this upcoming schedule, he played teams like Baltimore and Pittsburgh and San Francisco. He played, he, you know, he plays teams that Seattle. He plays so he Dak is gonna be playing some really good teams. And I just want to see how he reacts. I just want to see how he plays. That's all. But I think the Cowboys defensively. Their defense is not much to it's not much to praise about. It's not it's it's not much to be proud about. They're cross I mean the Cowboys are literally they're literally crossing their fingers that the Marcus Lawrence can turn back the clock and have a great year. They're hoping that Everson Griffin pe- pays off. They're hoping that Leighton Vanderish can stay healthy because that defense that especially that secondary that secondary is tor it can get torched every week. That secondary can get torched every single week. So, I, I, you know, I just work. That's, those are my worries. If, if you were wondering, if you're Cowboy Nation or if you're still, if you're, or if you're with the steel curtain, that, that is, those are my issues. I love, I love Dallas offense, don't love their defense. I love Pittsburgh defense, but I have my questions about offense. That's all. And then... In Seattle, uh, 
like a lot of see, and this is what this is this is this is what get, get, gets to me. Because I in my opinion, I feel like the two most underappreciated superstars in sports, the two most underappreciated superstars in sports is Kawhi Leonard and Russell Wilson. And for years, for for years, for the last like for the last three, four years, Russell Wilson has had Bad offensive lines. He's had an average receiving core. He's had he's had average to below average defenses, and he still finds a way to win ten plus games, and still gets to the playoffs, and still win playoff games. He's the most underappreciated superstar quarterback I have ever seen. If Aaron Rodgers was taking Green Bay to the playoffs every year with mediocre talent and mediocre like mediocre talent all over the field, we'd be we'd be calling Aaron Rodgers the greatest quarterback of all time. Russell Wilson does it with Seattle. Like like I'm not saying Pete Carroll's not a great coach. I'm not saying Seattle is not a great organization. Um, because but before the, but let's 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 put this into into perspective. Before Russell Wilson arrived in, in Seattle, Pete Curl had the Legion of Boom. He had Marshawn Lynch. He had Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and, and, and Richard Sherman. He had all these guys. He had, two, he had back-to-back seven and nine seasons with those guys. Then Russell Wilson arrives. Russell Wilson automatically turns this team into a Super Bowl team. Russell Wilson... Um, at the beginning of, at the beginning of his career he was um he, he was a game manager that was able to be he was he was a elite playmaker he not he wasn't even a game manager russell wilson was an elite he was a elite playmaker as, especially on third downs especially on third downs and now for the last three like for the last four years he has completely taken over this franchise and has put this franchise on his back. And I just wonder, uh, Russell Wilson, I don't know if you're ever going to hear this. I don't know if Sierra's going to ever hear this. I don't know who, I, I, I don't know if you're ever going to hear this. But, I mean, please, Russell Wilson, I, I hope you're seeing a, a chiropractor because I know your back has to hurt for, for putting this team on your back every year and carrying them to the playoffs. I I I I hope I hope Russell Wilson is hearing this. I hope Sierra Sierra is hearing this. I hope one of them are, are is is hearing this right now, and I hope they get a, or get a chance to hear this because please Russell Wilson, I hope you're seeing a chiropractor because I know your back has to be hurting. I know your back has to be stressed out. From carrying Seattle and putting them on your back, I know that I, I know your back has to be stressed out. I mean, because literally, he has put Seattle on their back, on on his back. He's literally put Seattle on his back. Um, I mean, he's made receivers into stars, tight ends into stars. Will Disley. Everybody was talking about Will Disley last year. Russell Wilson turned it, turned him into a star. Guess what position Will Disley was playing in college? 
offensive lineman. He was an offensive lineman in college. Comes to the pros. He turns into a star tight end because of Russell Wilson. Tyler Lockett, coming out of college. Tyler Lockett was he was a gadget guy. He was a gadget guy that you run reverses and sweeps for. Now, he's a, he's a guy to get you 1,000 yards. Russell Wilson. That's because of Russell Wilson. That's because of Russell Wilson. What, look, look, get this. What was the knock on DK Metcalf coming into the draft? Looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane. And he's a one-trick pony. So he looks like Tarzan. Plays like Jane, and he's a one-trick pony. He only runs one route. Russell Wilson all of a sudden turns him, turns him into a star. He's tur- he's tur- he, tur- he turned DK Metcalf into an emerging star. The greatness of Russell Wilson. Doug Baldwin, undrafted. Doug Baldwin, undrafted. Russell Wilson turns undrafted Doug Baldwin into an all-pro. That's no disrespect to those guys, either. That's no disrespect. But... It's just the truth of the matter. Jermaine Curse. Russell Wilson turns into a great... Like, come on. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Come on. So, if you had any questions uh, on why I had your team at a certain place, just hit me up um, or whatever. If I get in back... If I, if I see that you, you, you're trying to hit me up, I will, uh, I will talk about and break down your team. Um... Yeah, I will break down your team for you. Uh, you know, that, 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 those are my predictions. That's how I feel. <laughs> so the NBA playoffs. I haven't talked nothing about the NBA playoffs so far today in this episode. Um, I think that's fine. But game seven of the Nuggets and Jazz series was last night. And uh, it was a bit, it was a bit. No, the two stars underperformed. Donovan Mitchell is phenomenal. Um, when I see Donovan Mitchell, when I see Donovan Mitchell, I see a 2.0 version. I see another version of Dwayne Wade. Donovan Mitchell has a, I think he has a, Donovan Mitchell has a better three-point jump shot. But outside of that, I see a lot of Dwayne Wade and Donovan Mitchell. And Jamal Murray, this brother can play. He can ball out. He can straight out just ball. Uh, but the Nuggets advanced to the to the Western Conference semis to play the Clippers. I think they're losing five or six games. Um, you know, the Rockets and Thunder. See, this, this, before I even get to that, social media is so crazy. You people on the internet, you 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 people on the internet are so like are so crazy. You got like everybody after that game six of Houston and OKC, everybody. It seems like everybody's just now finding finding out that Chris Paul can play basketball. Chris Paul is a future Hall of Famer. Chris Paul is a future Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest point guards ever, and you guys are acting like. He just you you guys are acting like you're just now finding out that he can play basketball. Chris Paul deserves much more respect than what he's been getting. I I don't know. Maybe because he you know he hasn't won a title. I don't know. Maybe because he plays in OKC. I don't know what it is. But you guys are you guys just now finding out that Chris Paul can can, can hoop? 
This guy, this guy is a future Hall of Famer. And, he, and he's, one of the, he's one of the best leaders in basketball. He's one of the best leaders in basketball. Come on. Come on. Come on. But whoever, I mean, Chris Paul, I wish the best for him. He's doing, he's been playing well. And we, and we all know why, um, we all know, <laughs> we all know why he's going so hard. He's, he's highly motivated to beat the Rockets. Um, I think the Rockets are the better team. I think the Rockets, they have the better play, they have the best player in Harden. Um, and I, you know, I think I, I, I'm going to pick Houston. I don't feel very confident about it. I'm going to pick Houston, but I don't, feel, I don't feel very confident about it. But whoever wins this series, they'll just lose to the Lakers. <laughs> if OKC wins game seven tonight, they'll lose to the Lakers in five games. If Houston wins, they'll lose to the Lakers in six games. That's how I'm feeling. Now, did, I must admit, this Miami and Milwaukee series is very good. It is very good. I must admit. And I, I, I gotta I gotta I gotta say I was wrong on this one. Miami has proved me wrong uh, because I, I all all throughout the playoffs so far, I, like Miami, I've given them their props, but I, I, their young players are so fearless. Like Tyler Hero, uh, Duncan Robinson, they th- those guys are those guys are fearless. And Jimmy Butler the other night, oh my God, Jimmy Butler forty point performance, it's phenomenal. Uh, him shooting three pointers, that's not that's not that that's a rare that's that's a rare occasion. For him, he usually mid-range score and inside out. He's, you know, but that was that was phenomenal to see that he stretching his range. Uh, he doesn't shoot a great percentage from three, but and that's you know Miami. Miami as a team is really they're a really good three-point shooting team, one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league. But Jimmy Butler individually is not. Um, and for him to do that, for him to stretch his game, hitting threes down the stretch. I mean. Just phenomenal. He played really well. And that Miami team, Milwaukee's in trouble. <laughs> Milwaukee's in trouble. I've been told you guys Milwaukee's in trouble. Um, I, I, like, I didn't like how the way they played in the first round. The first round, they, they, were, just, they were just better than, than the Magic. Like, they, they, they you know, it was, it was obvious that they was going to beat the Magic. The Magic, they had a good game one, but it was just obvious that Milwaukee's going to beat the Magic. Um, it's the Magic. Come on. But uh, when I look at Miami, Miami is very formidable. And I still like the Celtics to come out of the Eastern Conference. By the way, I must say, <laughs> that pick is looking really good right now. Uh, but I still like the Celtics to get out the finals, to get, to get out the Eastern Conference, to get to the finals. But, <laughs> boy, oh, boy, this Heat team is very formidable. They're, they're, they are very formidable. I love Gordon, Dra- Gordon Dragic. Have had a, he's had a great playoff run. Um, I talked about Eric Spolstra a lot. Defensively, we know how good they are or how good they can be. Uh, and then you add veterans like Iguodala um, into the fold, into the mix. Jay Crowder into the fold, into the mix. I, this team has it. They can, and they, they can very much beat Milwaukee. This team could beat Milwaukee in six or seven games. Yes, they can do that. They're, 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 this team is that good. Um, and the reason why I, I was very hesitant on Miami is because of their young players, but their young players are fearless. They're young, like the moment does not look too big for them so far. 
and they're playing good basketball. Um, I already mentioned the Celtics. Like, that pick is looking really good. I told you guys, I like the Celtics. Uh, I like their perimeter scoring. I think I told you guys back in February. I told everybody back in February, Jason Tatum is emerging into a superstar. And he is con- he's been, since in the bubble, he's continuing to do that. Um, with his performances. He had a big-time performance in Game 2 of yesterday's Celtics game against the Raptors. And with the Raptors, like I told you guys, I like the Raptors. Um, I think what they have, with that that nucleus that they have, with, uh, with Nick Nurse and Lowry and Van Vliet, uh, Ibaka and Pascal Siakam, I love it. I love what they have in Toronto, but I do think they're missing that guy. They're missing that superstar guy. Uh, and these last two games, it's an example of that. Game one, they couldn't hit shots. They couldn't find a room offensively. That's where your superstar comes in. Because when you have a superstar and the rest of your team is not hitting shots or it's just not clicking offensively, that superstar is able to elevate his game and to carry – He's they're able to elevate their games and carry you until role players and, the, and those other guys like Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam find their shot. But they're missing that. They're missing that. And Siakam is supposed to be that number one guy. And like I told you guys, I like Siakam, but I don't like him enough where I think he's the number one guy. I don't think he's ready for that. Um, I, think he's a re- I think he's a really good number two. And I like they're missing Kawhi Leonard. They're missing somebody like a, like a Kawhi Leonard that can take over a game. Game two yesterday, a superstar would have. I mean, for that example, a superstar would have helped. They, you know, superstar hits big shots in those type of moments, and Toronto just couldn't hit enough shots. And that's why that's where I say, hey, I think that's where they're missing that superstar guy. They're missing. That one guy in those moments, and I knew at at some point at at, t- at some point in time that this was going to be the obstacle of the Raptors, or this question was going to have to be answered: Is Pascal Siakam that guy? Is he ready to elevate his game to superstar status in the playoffs? Because that's what the Raptors are going to need in order. To beat the Celtics in order to beat whoever wins this Milwaukee and Miami series and get to the finals. That in in order for them to repeat. They're gonna need Pascal Siakam to 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 you know to step up and play and be that number one guy. Um Kyle Lowry hasn't had a particularly good series. Um Van Vliet, I think, and also I think Tavano, they're a great defensive team. Uh, Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry, they're, they're two feisty guards, but they can't, they, they honestly can't do nothing with, with Jalen Brown. I, they can't do nothing with Jason Tatum. I think those, those, those are two wing players who has good size, good ball handling skills. Uh, they both can score at, at all three levels. I just don't think they can handle them. I just don't think they can handle them. I think Toronto will come back and make this series interesting, but I think the Celtics beat Toronto, and I think the Celtics will eventually 
beat whoever wins Miami in the Milwaukee series and the Celtics would get to the finals. That's how that's how I look at it. That that's that's how I'm looking at it. That's exactly how I'm looking at it. Um but you know it, it the NBA is getting really good. Uh we're we're getting really, 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 really close to the NFL season. I can I cannot wait um until the NFL season. We're eight days away. That's why I gave you guys my predictions. I'm gonna let you guys sleep on that. I'm gonna let you guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you guys sleep on these predictions. Uh, you know, I'm sure. Like I said, I'm sure there's gonna be a fan base that is not gonna like these predictions. I'm sure there's gonna be a fan base that disagrees. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure, especially those cowboy fans. I know that the cowboy fans are gonna be mad. I know the Packer fans are gonna be mad. I know the Steelers fans are gonna be mad. I know the Titans fans are gonna be mad. I know the Patriots fans are going to be mad. I, I, I know some teams are going to be mad. But this is just, it, it comes with the territory. <laughs> it comes with the territory. I, you know, I got to make these predictions. I'm sticking my neck out there. Uh, and, you know, like I told you guys, I've been thinking about these predictions for a long time. I'm taking everything into account. I think, I, like, I must say this. The lack of pre it just it just shows you how important preseason is. It shows you how... Uh, I think it's going to show you how much preparation means in the NFL because when you got a new coach, a new system that that coach have to implement or a rookie quarterback or just a new, you know, you made many acquisitions, it takes time to develop and get into the mojo of things. And preseason helps that. Pre that's why that's why there is a preseason. Pre preseason helps that. But if you notice, and I and I gave you guys a sneak peek of my predictions on the previous episode. But if you notice, teams that have continuity, those are the teams that I pick. Like Baltimore, they have continuity. That that you know, Lamar has been under this system for three years. Um, John Harbaugh, this defense, pretty like Kansas City and Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, continuity. Drew Brees, um, and, and, and Sean Payton, continuity. Philadelphia with with you know Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz, they got continuity. Um and, and it's not to say teams with new coaches are gonna struggle, but I think with the lack of preparation, with no preseason, I think if you're a team that has that have a lot of young pieces, like the Giants, the Giants have a lot of young pieces. They got a new coach. They've made they got a young offensive line. They have a young quarterback in Daniel Jones. So it's gonna take some it's gonna take some adjustments. It's gonna take some preparation. It's gonna take time. Um teams like uh who could be a good example? Oh yeah, another team, Seattle. Good continuity. Russell Wilson, Peaker, continuity. Um what's another team that's like young? Uh, the, the 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 Dolphins, the Dolphins, young talent. I like what Brian Flores. I like the direction they're going in. Like the, the the Dolphins are definitely trending up, but preseason could have helped. I could have you know preseason could have helped this team with a lot of young pieces. Preseason could have helped. Um, so you know that's what I'm going with. I feel pretty confident about these predictions. Um, I thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. Uh, 
Boy, oh boy, the NBA playoffs, like I said, the playoffs are getting good. They're getting good. The playoffs are really getting good. Um, but I, I hope, you know, I hope you guys, I hope I, I hope I get a lot of feedback from these predictions. So we have something to talk about. <laughs> but we have a lot to talk about. But uh, I hope I get feedback. I want to I wanna, I wanna talk about this. I want to I talk about these these topics uh, and these predictions because I'm, 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 I'm fully committed. I'm fully committed with these predictions. Now, obviously, if there's a catastrophic injury, I'm going to be able to change. I'm, 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 I'm giving myself the opportunity and the ability to change my pick if something catastrophic happens early on. Like, it, 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 you know, if something happens catastrophically, I, I, I'm giving myself the ability to change my prediction. So give me credit, too. Give me credit for not criticizing Russell Westbrook today. Because I could have easily came on here and criticized him for that game six performance that he put. Like, I could have easily criticized him. Because I told you guys what he was. He's supremely talented. He's dynamic as hell. Um, I think he, he still struggles to shoot the jump shot. And I paid top dollar for him. And I think some, at times he's very tunnel vision. But I always told you guys, as a decision maker... Especially down the stretch in big games, I don't want Russell Westbrook with the ball in his hands. I just don't. I just don't because it's it's proven. It, it, it just doesn't work. So give me credit for not coming on here today and criticizing Russell Westbrook or Russell Westbrook until now. But I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I haven't criticized Russell Westbrook. And he had a bad game six. I could have literally come on here and critique and nitpick. Oh, well, it wouldn't be nitpicking because, I mean, it's like he had a bad fourth quarter in game six. Um, and he, and he, he choked. He choked. He had, a, he had a crucial turnover. And that's why I always question his decision making. I always question his judgment. I don't like him. I don't like him in crunch time. I don't like Russell Westbrook in crunch time. He's dynamic as hell. He's uh he's supremely talented. He still struggles to shoot the jump shot, which I think is still very I think is it's a missing part of his game, which I think he needs to improve. Um, but I don't know if he ever will. But uh I, I never liked his I never like his late game decision making. I've never been a fan of his late game decision making, and he always has played at one speed. Um, without, but without further ado, I'm gonna let you guys go away. I'm gonna let you guys, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this bad boy up. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the IKP. I thank you guys. Um, episode 150. This is episode 150 of the Isaiah Kid podcast. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, always, always remember two choices, one decision. Um, We've been doing really good with clicking. Uh, you guys are definitely spreading the message, spreading this podcast. Uh, that's love. That's love. That's true love. I, and I know uh, without you guys, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it wouldn't be the same. Fun- this podcast wouldn't be the same functioning without you guys. You guys are the most important thing uh, to this podcast because you guys, you, you, you people, you, you know, you guys actually listen. So... Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. Once again, like I said it already, I just wanted to, you know, thank all my supporters. Shout out to everybody who's listening. And I catch you guys on Saturday. 
Saturday podcast. Bye. Deuces.